0: I might have been born just plain white trash, but fancy words of my name. Hey! Welcome to Glamorous Trash. On this podcast, we recap and book club celebrity memoirs, we pontificate about pop culture, and sometimes, if it's a real juicy, we cry. If you have ever casually referenced Mariah Carey in therapy, then this is probably the podcast for you. Now, I'm your host, Chelsea DeMontez. I'm a TV writer, comedian, and filmmaker, and sometimes I'm in stuff too. And this episode, we are recapping and discussing John Stamos's memoir titled, If You Would Have Told Me, published just last month, 2023. It's brand new. And every now and then I make a mensmoir memoir exception. And there was a bunch of mensmoirs out this fall and I got a lot of requests for this one. And for some reason I said yes. And so we are going to discuss John Stamos's book. I This book was quite a wild ride. It's serving Disneyland. You're going to hear about the Beach Boys. The book debuted on the exact same day as Britney Spears' book, which we're going to get into. Also, there is some talk of some sexual assault and trauma, so please take care when listening. And this is a Patreon-only episode because I love our patrons so much. Y'all are the one who keep us making shows. And for anyone who's not a patron, sign up. You can get this episode for literally a dollar a month. This is one of the episodes that I promise you are going to want to listen to in full. (laughs) This dude's book. Oh boy. All right, let's dive in. Our guest today is the host of Reality Life with Kate Casey and the go-to expert on what to watch in unscripted television. With six episodes a week, she interviews the talent producers and directors behind the best in reality TV, documentaries, and series. She covers every genre, sports, business, true crime, cults, dating, you name it. Please welcome Kate Casey.
1: Oh my God. So happy to be here. So pumped to talk about this book.
0: I'm so excited you said yes to this. I'm so thrilled that you're here. And I think I found your podcast from our friend Chris DeRosa of Fixing Famous So funny. And became obsessed. And when I was looking for a guest for this memoir, I thought it had to be someone who was an expert in TV. And I immediately thought of you because of the place Full House holds in our TV zeitgeist. And so... Kate, I I immediately reached out to you and you said yes. Tell me why you said yes to this book.
1: Well, I was less interested in talking about Uncle Jesse than working with you because I (laughs) thought this would be so much fun to do. I have to be honest, though. I think Full House is a super stupid show and never
0: thought it was funny. And I also hate
1: Disneyland. So this is a doozy for me.
0: A real doozy for you. You know, I obviously knew a Full House, but we didn't have TV a lot growing up, and so I, I kind of missed the Full House era, which feels real key to John Samos. And I think that's also why I was more interested in this book than some of the other memoirs because I really didn't know anything about him. Yeah. And I also thought,
1: who is the audience for this book? I, I thought about that often, and I thought, I think it's maybe mothers of children who watched Full House. Like, this is a book written for them, maybe. Yeah. There are a lot of parallel universe moments where I was reading and thinking, do we live on the same planet? Because what you're telling me is something that's a mystery to me. For example, the way he talked about his celebrity, especially, as you even noted, that he said he had a bodyguard when he was on General Hospital. I kept going, wait, is he a big celebrity and I'm not aware of it? Or is this in his head?
0: Yeah. No, I wrote down, oh, he had a bodyguard when he was young. And I wrote, find out what show this was. And we were already reading about General Hospital. I just assumed there was something else I was missing. (laughs) And then he ended his note from the author saying, Everyone has a book in them. This is mine. And I said, oh no, that's what they use to discourage people from writing. Like (laughs) the idea is like, yeah, I guess everyone has a book in them, but don't do it if you're just gonna write down your life story. Like if you're publishing a book, you should have something more to offer than just like, well, anybody could do this. And also he said this thing and I'm hoping it was just to work the title in, but he started the note, with, if you had told me one day I'd be writing my memoir, I would have told you you were crazy. But then I thought, why did you? And I don't think he told us.
1: Like, okay, so what does that mean? Like you can't write at all without the help of a significant team uh, behind you? Because if that's the case, why am I wasting my time? That's like just a couple pages into the book and you're like, this was put together by a team that were like, The roles are drying up. Maybe we've got a strike ahead. Like, let's get some money from a book.
0: He told us, paragraph one, over the years, I've had a fair share of book offers. Made me laugh. Me, write a book. First off, I can't spell. I don't really have anything to say. I was like, okay, then... Don't write the fucking why book. Why are we wasting our time? And I heard in an interview, he said as he was writing the book, he found his story, which again, not good enough for old shells. But there was a back one third of the book before it got back into his parents' stories that I did like. I actually did li- end up liking mm. a part of this book um, in that like I wanted to hear the end of it. The first half, it was a parody of why I don't like memoirs. Like, yes, it was a satire. It was like, "Here's my virginity story, but girls." Yeah, and I was like, "No, <laughs> don't do this to me." Yeah. Um, what did you think of the first half? Uh, the, the, basically, the childhood. Okay, I will say this:
1: What is charming about him is that he had a great relationship with his family. He has great yeah. respect for his parents. His father instilled in him like a pretty good work ethic as a child. Like, you got to come to the restaurant. You got to work your shifts. I don't give two shits if you're like Mr. Popularity. You have responsibilities. He's also very respectful and admires his younger sisters. I like that a lot. Yeah. But there's some times where his ego starts to pop up. And then I kept thinking, okay, I'm imagining myself if I'm like in his inner circle or if I'm his girlfriend at some point. Am I ever like, oh, I think his parents did him dirty because they put him in su- on such a pedestal that he can't calibrate for normal people? Like, here's an example. He's talking later in the book about how he's on General Hospital set, and he gets to film with Sammy Davis Jr. And his father has told him, like, this guy's a big deal. And he's imitating his voice, which is a little bit annoying. But- wait, wait, wait,
0: just pause right there. Everybody, he does a Sammy Davis, <laughs> Davis Jr. Jr. impression. <laughs> And I'm not going to say a little bit annoying. I'm going to say I, like, (laughs) full throttle screamed. And I was like, well, it's okay. It's just once. No, no, no. No, no. It's a long, enduring impression. I couldn't believe he did it. Uh, Did you think it was a good impression?
1: No. No, it's not worth it. I was like, you're so committed to this bad impression. But the best part is, the way he's describing the scene, like, You know, he's kind of giving them life advice, like, hey, man, like, this is the way we do it. And then he said, everyone, all the executives, they had their eyes on the monitor. They were all watching us. And I thought, you're living two sliding doors parallel experiences because for you, you're like, that's it. I'm it. I'm such a hit. I get to be with this major Hollywood legend. Sammy Davis Jr.'s team is like, fuck. Fuck. You're running out of money. You're an alcoholic. We got some bills to pay. You got to go to the set of General Hospital. And the execs around the monitor are like, man, what happened to his career? But he doesn't see
0: that. No, he has no idea. And I, I do think like to do a Sammy Davis Jr. impression where it's like I mean, he impersonated a fair amount of b- older black gentlemen in this book. And I was pretty shook by it. Um, and I, and I <laughs> think there's kind of no case for that unless it's like, wow, what an impression. And this was not it. Yeah. And I also made me think of um Cheetah Rivera's memoir, which weirdly I'm going to bring up a couple of times in this episode. There's a crossover. She wrote out Sammy Davis Jr. in her book of like the severe and enduring racism he went through to the point where he like pulls oh, out yeah. like his glass eye Awful. and it's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And John Samos is like, and then he was on set being like, we should, you know, you and I should riff and play music. Yeah, I
1: thought the same thing. I'm like, he is completely oblivious to what this man's life experience has been and where he was in his career and life to have been on the set of General Hospital. Like, yeah, not good.
0: Absolutely. And The very interesting thing about him is that, and I think maybe the thing I liked the most is what you were saying about like his ego pops up. I really loved how much he admitted his insecurity, ego, and pure drive for fame. At one point, even says like, "All I ever wanted to do is be famous," or I would think like, "If I just got famous enough," which is so different than I want to be an actor. Mm-hmm. Or I I want to make art, or I love stories, or I love filmmaking. He really just loved fame, and several times in this book will be like, like I went to Burning Man, no one recognized me, so I couldn't hit on anyone because oh, yeah. all I can use is my fame, oh, no. and my friends made fun of me. But I was like, that's I'm that's I'm happy you're talking about this. Well, first of all, I think
1: a lot of people. Are like that too. So I was glad yeah. he said it. But at the one point, I cringed where he said, It's feeding the pigeons. That was the term for like <laughs> going to Disneyland and taking your hat off so you can get noticed. It's feeding the pigeons. That's wild. Because
0: normal people are pigeons. Yes. I actually really want to give a hats off to his editor because I felt a heavy hand in here being like, like, no, 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 no. And I was appreciative because there's an amount of like really, really toxic masculinity that's in this mm-hmm. book to mm-hmm. the point that I know there was so much more. <laughs> so much more. And you know, there was a
1: lot more like pussy jokes and other stuff that they're like, Oh my
0: God. Yeah. You know, we don't need to hear
1: about when you had a hand job, like for sure. Because I think that that's like his circle of friends or that's their humor. And I think he also was a guy that liked to hang out with older guys who are t- take toxic masculinity to a whole other level. Yeah. Another thing that was weird about the beginning of the book is I don't feel like I really got an explanation of how he studied music in order to be in a space at some point where he could perform with the Beach Boys. Like, I don't remember him ever going, you know, I would like bang away on the piano or sing or like, I know he likes musical theater. Yeah. But I don't remember any part where I'm like, where's the training? So were they just letting some hack like get on like an (laughs) instrument and, and like play with them?
0: Well, yeah. And the book is out of order in a way that was so aggravating to me as a reader. But again, going back to that editor, I was like, wow, genius. You're telling this in a way where he doesn't have to sort of admit to a lot of gory parts of these stories because he switched the orders around. It's like he's going to tell us about Lori Laughlin's." College scandal before the Full House chapters. I could not believe that. Okay, we have to start going story by story because we need to fully dive into all of these. Okay. It begins with he is drunkenly driving throughout Hollywood and he's yeah. so drunk and he's on such a bender and he's having such a alcohol abuse problem that he gets a DUI, he's arrested and he has to go to rehab and one week later they're going to start fuller house. So this is a real like <sighs> portrait of life and it's pretty painful because to start the book with like how drunk driving that recklessly mm-hmm. so horrific And we're not really going to get the sobriety story of this book. Like, I don't get the sense he's sober. No, I don't either. But to start with, like, I could have, you know, killed someone. I kind of never got the payoff to that Mm -hmm. um, in a way where, like, you know in matthew perry's memoir he was he really dove into the addiction and how horrible it was right i felt like john samuels was like i almost killed someone cuz dame's fame and beach boy and like yeah. put me on yes. the other side of the hill and i had to look yeah. at you know brush my mullet back and say have mercy yeah. like <laughs> that's how exactly it yeah so I don't have much from the first half of the book. I I found it to be, again, a parody of Men's Mars where it was like virginity (laughs) stories, like punching a boy because you like a gal. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of woke up when he talked about he gets his first audition after going to like an acting playhouse for like three months. Maybe. He might have dropped out. (laughs) Yeah. Unsure. And he gets his first audition. It's for General Hospital and i'm happy he he was like funny and made a joke and he was like my story is one of like obstacles and waiting it out and just kidding i booked my first audition for my first big job and was a star of general hospital yeah
1: but the worst named character in the history of soap operas
0: well especially for someone who's about to do a sammy davis junior impression Hey, exactly. what, what was the name of his character? Will, will you tell everyone? Blackie. They named him Blackie. Known for
1: wearing a black leather jacket, they named him Blackie. What is wrong with the staff of General Hospital?
0: W- unbelievable. And, you know, he said it's the worst name for a character. This was horrible. So I'm, I'm happy there was awareness there. But then, like, he played that character for, like, years. Years. And he keeps talking about it in the book. Yeah.
1: Oh, blackie. Oh. You know, when I was blackie, I'm like, uh, let's just put that let's to just bed. Yeah.
0: Let it go. Yeah. Let's let yeah. it go. And also, <laughs> I felt that he really made sense to me in the sense that you were this like high school boy with like a pretty solid mm-hmm. family and you get famous immediately. Like, yeah, you know, you tend to need an obstacle or two to, <laughs> to, to get empathy. Like again, his parents did him a little dirty
1: because he was like the center of the family. Like the Greek son- you're handsome, you're everything. And then he books his first job. I mean, this guy is riding high. He's yeah. like, you know, and in his reference to needing a bodyguard during the general hospital days, I just thought if you were a normal person, you would qualify it as, please understand, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. And now I look back and I'm embarrassed that I had a bodyguard. No, he like is happy about it. He's not embarrassed by it, by it at all. Well, he
0: said, finally, I got famous enough to have a bodyguard. Right. But- so I, I guess, are you and I just missing something? Is there a world of people out there who were like, I was there at the John Stamos stampedes? I I don't know anybody who's like that much of a John
1: Stamos fan. Maybe there were women like that. I don't know.
0: Yeah. I, I, I mean, all right. Well, he had a bodyguard. He's very young. He's on General Hospital. And <laughs> he, you know, I did like that his dad made him wait tables, you know, throughout. Yes, his, I did too. It, it, yeah, until he like got a little bigger on the show. And then again, I, there was a, the part of me that really enjoyed him was this part where he's like, and then I got two nose jobs immediately. And I said, thank you for telling us. And he said, the first one wasn't good enough. So then I went to the guy who did Michael Jackson's nose. And I said, that's actually the guy you're not supposed to go to. That's right. I That was confusing to me too. Yeah. And, and I thought, you know, he's not really going to speak about it, but to be told you're like this super handsome dude mm-hmm. to. Become famous to have a bodyguard and still be like, I personally want two nose jobs, you know, or, or to get my nose right. <laughs> I think it, it's it does speak to a really high level of insecurity and like truly something deeper in there, you know. Yes, at this same time, who and he's going to mention like Tony Danza, Sylvester Stallone, like these dudes living with you know, quote unquote, imperfect faces and they're fine. And John yeah. Samus is like, I need to fix my face. Well, I think he knows at a very
1: cellular level that maybe that's all he had when he is comparatively to his contemporaries. Yeah. Maybe he doesn't have the talent. There might, like there has to be a part of him that feels like an imposter.
0: Yes, right? I think he fully feels like I need people to like me and tell me they respect me constantly, which is a dark place to live in. And he's been living there for a while and then He talks about how Demi Moore was his co-star on General Hospital at one point. Now, tell Mm -hmm. me if this is how you read this. He said at some point, uh, a reporter comes up to them and they're like, Demi Moore, Demi Moore. Like, did you and John Stamos ever fool around? And he says, I look at her to see what she's going to say. And she goes, oh, I don't really remember. Like, maybe we hooked up. And he goes, I just smile. And I said, what are you telling us? You're saying that you fucked Demi Moore. And also, that period of her life, Demi Moore's like heavily in drug abuse. <laughs> like she's going in and out of rehab or she
1: just doesn't want anybody to know that it actually may have happened. Like she's like let's move on. I don't want to talk about it. But then don't put it in the book. I know. But but he does that all the time. He has to bring somebody up. Like he makes a point of mentioning that he met Heather Locklear. And like I loved this story. <laughs> how how close they may have gotten to sleeping together, but it's like why did you even include it? Because he needs people to know like I've been around hot chicks.
0: Yes, and that I I can pull hot babes. Um, Yeah. But I felt in the Heather Locklear story where basically she is coming on to him and she's, like, come upstairs. Come up to my room. Yeah, and he got too drunk and slept through it and passed out. And he runs into her later, years later, and is like, oh, she's being rude to me because I stood her up. But he points out that they did have sex. The second time, right? Yes, the second time that they had sex. I'm like, ugh. But, But in that same way with Demi Moore, it's like, but don't worry there was more to be said. And you're like, what okay. though? Like, <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. also a world where you didn't have sex with Demi Moore and now I think you did. <laughs> you know, I don't know what happened. I guess we'll never know. Um, and then this is my favorite part of the book. I, this is when I, I was excited. I, I was hooked for the rest of the book. He told this really weird, ambiguous story about the editor-in-chief of the magazine, Tiger i I'm obsessed. Yes, tell everyone what happened. So Doreen Leroy or is uh, the editor-in-chief of Tiger Beat magazine, and she puts a lot of pictures of John Samos on the front cover of Tiger Beat magazine, and it has a huge hand in making him famous to the point of Mm -hmm. possibly needing a bodyguard and making him just like (laughs) the heartthrob for women everywhere. He says that she wants an exclusive deal with him. Like, you'll only do my magazine. And he's a very loyal guy. And so he says yes. And then she becomes really close friends with their family and his mom and his dad. And like, she's just always around. And one day they're watching the news and a murderer is on the television. Mm -hmm. And they're like, this guy's been murdering, murdering, murdering. Just so many murders. He's a monster. And she says, he's pretty hot. He looks like you, John Stamos. And he's like, what, me? And she's like, doesn't that guy look like John Samos? And then it becomes clear that it's Richard Ramirez. Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker. The Night Stalker, one of the most- Notorious killers. Yes, and and just so brutal. And then he says she becomes infatuated with him and starts writing him letters. Okay, that was just a little teaser of the episode. I know you're probably so annoyed. However, what if we pivoted that thought to this? You can join our Patreon for literally a dollar a month. It's the pay what you can option. It's so easy to sign up. I know you're maybe you're driving, you're in the shower, so don't do it now, but like the moment you can, you just click the link in the show notes. It takes you to Patreon you sign up real quick. We send you an email with the link and instructions to add it to your podcast app. It takes 30 seconds. And then all the bonus episodes just come to your phone the way the normal podcast does. It's so worth it because what? We're an independent podcast. We have no husbanders, We have no support except for your support. So go to Patreon if you love this podcast. If you want to hear the rest of this episode, it means a lot to us.